Dear friends, Jesus, totally God and totally human, his totally human side needed friends to pray with him in his deepest trial. We all need friends to pray with us when we're going through deep waters. But what did Peter, James, and John do? They fell asleep. Happy New Year and welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The year 2020 is behind us and we begin a brand new year full of hope. And as we begin this new year, David is beginning a brand new series of teachings based on the Gospel of John. For more on this year-long study, visit our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But now, here's David. Well, someone once said that the way you begin a very long journey is with the first single step. Uh, somebody else jokingly said the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, and you've got to take that first bite to begin. Uh, both illustrations are appropriate today. Uh, we begin our study of the Gospel of John. We're going to spend probably at least a year going verse by verse through this magnificent Gospel. Um, if you don't know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, Synoptic Gospels. That's because they have a lot in common as you read through them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is unique. It's not one of the synoptic gospels. That's because 90% of what's in John is not found in the synoptics in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's unique. It's like John, uh, who was the youngest of the disciples when he was called by Jesus, lived long beyond all the other disciples who followed Jesus had been uh, crucified or martyred in their faith. And it's like John at the end of his life looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which had already been written, and said, we need the spiritual side of Jesus. We need to know this intimate life that we can have in Jesus. So he wrote the Gospel of John with his own deep understanding as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He called himself five times that phrase in the Gospel of John, and he knew a deep love of Jesus, probably like no other of the disciples knew. So 90% of what's in John is not in the other Gospels. It's profound, it's deep. It was Dr. Billy Graham's favorite Gospel. It was my dad's favorite Gospel. Really, folks, it's mine as well. And I thought, how can I help deepen you in your intimate love relationship with Jesus? Let's go through the Gospel of John. So we're gonna do this verse by verse over the next however many months it takes so that our lives can grow in their intimacy with Jesus. John, um, he wrote the Gospel of John, which we're about to take that first bite and that first step. Uh, he also wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which enlarge the gospel's understanding of how to be lived out in the church. And also he wrote the book of Revelation after a magnificent supernatural vision from Jesus himself. That is who wrote those books. Uh, John himself was a part of a fishing industry with his brother James. They were the sons of a man named Zebedee. Their mother was named Salome. Salome was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, so they had some knowledge and interaction with Jesus uh, when he first called them. He called, Jesus called them from their fishing industry. They must have been quite wealthy. They must have been doing well because they owned boats. And only people who were wealthy owned boats in the fishing industry. And since they probably had some money, there is every evidence to believe they were well-schooled, well-educated, and had a great deal of rabbinic, Old Testament, theological background as a part of their lives. 
Now, the Bible tells us that in Mark, the third chapter, Jesus went on a mountaintop and prayed that God would reveal to him whom he should call as his disciples. And when anyone during that day wanted a rabbi to teach them well, they would just follow him and listen to his teachings. But ultimately, the rabbi would choose among the multitudes a few in order to teach more specifically what he wanted them to know. So Jesus had multitudes following him, even as a rabbi. But then he looked down from the mountaintop after prayer from the Father and said, here are the 12 whom I choose. And two of those were James and John. They were, again, the sons of Zebedee. That was the name of their father. But when Jesus called them in Mark 3, it's interesting, he called them the sons of Boanerges. <laughs> That's so funny because Jesus must have known them and he must have known them pretty well. So he nicknamed them right after he chose them to be one of his 12 disciples. Now, the word Boanerges means thunder. So they were the sons of thunder, which seems to suggest that both James and John had a quick trigger. Uh, they had an impetuous side to them. Uh, they could get angry pretty quickly. And you see in other places in the New Testament where that's evidenced. Uh, for example, in Luke, the ninth chapter, uh, Jesus was traveling through Samaria. And again, the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. Uh, James and John looked for a place where the disciples could rest, could, you know, rent a hotel room, if you will, and the Samaritans wouldn't let them come in. They, they wouldn't give them a motel room uh, because they were prejudiced against Jews. Now, James and John's trigger snapped, and they said to Jesus, do you want us to call down lightning from heaven and completely destroy the city where these Samaritans live? And Jesus is kind of, like, oh, no, that's, that's not what I want at all. Don't do that. An evidence of, again, sons of thundering, flipping off, getting really angry quickly. And Jesus saw that side of them when he called them. Another place where it's evident is in Matthew, the 20th chapter. Uh, it says, starting with verse 20, that Salome, uh, the mother of James and John, went to Jesus, and Jesus had just announced he's heading toward Jerusalem, where he'll most certainly face the cross, and he will be raised from the dead. Well, she, and along with James and John, probably put it together that, oh boy, he's going to establish his kingdom now. And she was thinking, you know what? I'm related to your mom. She's my sister, and these guys are your cousins. They need a little favor in your kingdom. And so she went to Jesus and said, why don't you let my boys, when you establish your kingdom, I mean, you're the king, you're number one, but let James and John, show a little nepotism here, guy. Uh, let them sit at your left and right hand in your kingdom. And then, of course, Jesus gave a lecture to Salome and the boys about those who will be first in his kingdom will be last, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. But it was, again, Salome, probably see where they got the thunder part of their lives, don't you? Uh, encouraged the boys as well to snap off and demand that they sit at Jesus' left and right hand when he ultimately took over his kingdom. So you can see that they began with a very tempestuous attitude, a very trigger-friendly anger that would be exposed at a moment's notice when Jesus first called them. But nevertheless, Jesus called them not because of who they were, but because he saw who they could become. As you continue to walk through the gospel accounts, you can see how important 
James and John were to Jesus. Because among the 12, uh, Jesus also chose another person in the fishing industry with James and John named Peter. And Peter, James, and John became the inner circle of Jesus. There were the 12, but there were also the three. And Jesus had an intimate, close, personal relationship, unlike the other nine, with these three. And, And you see different times during the gospel accounts when these three acted in specifically interesting ways in Jesus' life. For example, when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and there his glory was exposed to Peter, James, and John, it's like his flesh veiled his Godhead. And if anyone looked straight into the eyes of God, we would die because of our sinfulness and his perfect holiness. So God veiled his glory with his human flesh, but on the top of that mountain, uh, the Father lifted off that glory for a moment and Jesus was shown in all of his splendor with perfect whiteness. The, The text describes it like he'd just been laundered in a perfect laundry detergent. And then Moses and Elijah, the, the chief prophet and the chief lawgiver of the Old Testament step out of eternity and join Jesus, Peter, James, and John on that mountain. And it's just so interesting. I think God wanted to encourage Jesus as he was, was moving in those last days toward his death and resurrection. He wanted to say, you know, I'm gonna be with you as hard as these next days are going to be. But I think he was also using this as an opportunity to say to Peter, James, and John, look at my son, Jesus, and he says specifically to all three of them, listen to him. It's almost like don't take the priority of the words of Moses and Elijah as your primary sources of obedience to me. Listen to him. And then the glory drops and Moses and Elijah go back into heaven, into eternity. And James, Peter, and John are left there alone with Jesus. And and Peter wanted to build a, a commune on top of the mountain. He wanted just to stay on top of the mountain and say, let's just build houses here and let's, uh, make our ground fertile and let's grow crops here and let's build a booth to you, Jesus, and let's just remove ourselves from the world and stay away from all of the world's problems and all of its difficulties. And of course, Jesus said, no, I mean, I I didn't call you to remove yourself from the world. I called you to be in the world. And they come back down off the mountain and enter into the world again. Uh, We see that when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, uh, he removed the crowds and he took only Peter, James, and John with him when he healed Jairus' daughter. I mean, Peter, James, and John saw this miraculous movement of Jesus where there was a dead little girl and she was raised from her dead bed to new life in Jesus. I mean, again, they saw that miracle happen along with the transfiguration. Can you get an idea why? Peter, James, and John were so essential to Jesus. And also, the night before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus left the nine and took with him Peter, James, and John into the garden. And there, he agonized over what was facing him the next day. He knew, first of all, the physical pain, that was going to be bad enough, but he knew the spiritual pain when all the sins of the world would come upon him on that cross 
and the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, had always had intimacy and love with one another. Jesus knew at the moment that death came upon him and he would take all the sins of the world, yours and mine included, upon himself that the Father who is perfectly holy could not have an intimate love relationship with him, would have to turn his back on him. That's why Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, they would not have that one relationship. And when Jesus thought about it, that it was agony beyond words. The text even says to us that blood vessels, capillaries in his forehead started to burst. He was so under stress, under pressure, under all kinds of difficulty that his capillaries on his forehead burst and he started bleeding blood down his forehead. But with Peter, James, and John, he took them with him, knowing the agony of that hour, to ask them to pray with him. Dear friends, Jesus, totally God and totally human, his totally human side needed friends to pray with him in his deepest trial. We all need friends to pray with us when we're going through deep waters. But what did Peter, James, and John do? They fell asleep. During that hour of agony when Jesus had to wrestle with the Father if the cross was really his will and he finally heard his Abba Daddy in heaven say to him, this is my will, and Jesus submitted to them. Jesus went back to Peter, James, and John and said, couldn't you even stay awake for one hour? They couldn't because even though their spirit was willing, their flesh was really weak. But they had an encounter with Jesus in that garden. And who knows when they fell asleep, they could have heard Jesus crying out to the Father during that time period, thus giving them insights that helped them later write down what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Peter, James, and John were a part of that inner circle. Uh, we also see that for the Last Supper, Jesus sent ahead Peter and John to go find the upper room where they would have that Last Supper together. So again, it was a very close relationship with Peter who became the voice of the apostolic band and John in that close intimate relationship with Jesus who set up the Last Supper. And also, at the Last Supper, we see something that is just extraordinary. Um, in that room, all the 12 disciples were in a circle. They weren't sitting in chairs behind a straight table as Leonardo da Vinci suggests. That's not the way the Bible describes it. And they would eat in that day on the left elbow. And the left elbow would allow the head to be right in the breast of the person next to them. Well, Jesus, of course, was the leader of the Last Supper. And whenever somebody had a great meal like that, what they would have is their closest friend on their right hand, and they would have the person of honor, the guest of honor on their left hand. So Jesus' head was next to his guest of honor. Guess who he chose that night to be his guest of honor? Judas, the one who would betray him. Well, then we move on and see that Jesus ultimately went to Pilate and what Pilate and the Jewish officials put Jesus through was horrific. Uh, Pilate, in order to satiate the bloodthirstiness of the people crying out for someone to pay the penalty for crimes that had been committed during that year, and uh, Pilate offers Barabbas, a real criminal, as the one who could satiate that desire, but they cried out, no, no, we want Jesus, give us Jesus. And so in order to try to satisfy them, because Pilate knew he was guiltless, he had Jesus scourged 39 times with a whip that was matted with metal and bone and glass. 
it would have ripped his back apart. And the Romans called it intermediate death because the knowledge was that 40 lashes would kill somebody. Jesus had 39 lashes. Interestingly, the apostle Paul talks about having at one point received 39 lashes in that kind of intermediate punishment. And then Jesus had to uh, take his cross up the hill to Golgotha. And, and there he was finally planted in the ground with railroad spikes planted in his wrists and in his feet, put up on that cross. And the only way he could continue to breathe was to try to raise up on his toes and inhale and exhale coming down. The only way he could stay alive. And there he did warfare with the enemy of darkness. And finally, he said, it is finished. But before he said, it is finished, something amazing happened. All the other 11 disciples had run away. They, they had gone, except one. And at the foot of the cross, there was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Coming up, David has a personal word of hope for all of us for this new year. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, thank you, Bart, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry, and, and more importantly, about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries, you can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston. Thank you for joining us today. With me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, as we kick off 2021, do you have a personal word of hope for us in this new year? I do, Jen, and I think there's one that's needed, especially as we look back at 2020. And last night at midnight, when we finally moved into 2021, my guess is there were some numbers of people, maybe a lot of people who went, whew, 
man. <laughs> yep. I'm glad 2020 is over with. You think about all the things we went through, the mm-hmm. COVID pandemic, um, the race riots, mm-hmm. uh, the election, all of them. If they were the only thing that had happened in 2020, we'd have had a tough year. Mm-hmm. But with all three of them together, it was tough times on steroids. Oh, my goodness. But you know the year has passed, and we're moving now into 2021. The truth is January the 1st, 2021 really is no different than December the 31st, 2020. It's just another day. That's right. So we move forward with this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I have no doubt that the enemy, Satan himself, was the one orchestrating the pandemic. God's not the author of pestilence. Mm -hmm. That's not him. Mm -hmm. Nor was God the author of the race riots. God wants us to love one another. Uh, Nor was he a part of all the rancor of the election divisions. He wants us to be one. But I do believe God is working good out of all things. And so the enemy was stirring up all this strife. But I want to remind all of our listeners that Satan is a creature. He may be the devil, but he's God's devil. And God is using him for all of his purposes. Even though there's evil that he is spewing forth, God is using that for good. And we rest in that hope. Mm -hmm. You know, in this next year on the radio broadcast, I'm going to spend a lot of time going through the gospel of John. It's the beloved gospel. Uh, Billy Graham said it was his favorite gospel. It was my daddy's favorite gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, Jen, it's my favorite gospel as well. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like John at the end of his life looked at what Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written, and all three of those Gospels had been written before his, and he looked at what they had said about Jesus, and so much of the material in all three Gospels is shared among them, and he said, there's something missing here. So John tried to preach a Gospel that would bring both Jew and Greek together, and it was the most intimate of all the Gospels written by the disciple whom Jesus loved, called that way five different times in the Gospel of John. John had this intimate relationship with Jesus that is beyond description. But what's so interesting in Mark, the third chapter, when Jesus called the 12 from all of the multitudes who were listening to him as a great rabbi, he called James and John and called them the sons of Boanerges. Now, they had a fishing industry in Galilee, and it appears that along with Peter, they knew Jesus growing up. They, they must have had some kind of friendship. So, Jesus knew James and John. They were brothers, John the younger, James a little bit older. Their mother was Salome. She's the sister of Mary. So they're really Jesus' Mm half-cousins, if you will, in the way that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus nicknamed those two guys sons of Boanerges, sons of thunder. Mm -hmm. They had a quick temper. They got angry quickly. Anybody out there identify? You know, I can get relate. Really ticked off, and they would let it fly. And I think Jesus affectionately, with maybe even a smirk, nicknamed that the sons of Boanerges. And you see throughout the Gospel of John and the other Gospels some of the stories that give evidence to the fact they did get really ticked off quickly. Mm -hmm. Like in Samaria, when the Samaritans wouldn't give Jesus a place to sleep, they cried out, do you want to call down thunder from heaven and (laughs) blast this city to smithereens? And Jesus went, no, that's not what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. Good heavens. But then what's so interesting is Jesus didn't see who they were. He saw who they could become. James was the first martyr 
in the Christian church. John, interestingly, lived a long time after all the other disciples who followed Jesus had been martyred and killed, and he remained faithful to the end, writing not only the Gospel of John, but 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, plus the book of Revelation. And John is just a perfect example of one who went from a son of thunder to the disciple whom Jesus loved. So let me give hope to everybody out there today. No matter what the pandemic brought, the election, the riots, whatever, no matter how you responded to that or wherever your life may be right now, Jesus doesn't look at you for where you've been, what you've gone through. He looks at what you can become. Draw close to him. In 2021, let's all draw close to him. And as John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, let all of us be that same kind of disciple. And in that intimate relationship, we can have hope. Thank you so much, David. And everyone, happy 2021 to you. Happy New Year. Walk with Jesus. Grow close to Him. And when you do, there's always hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church here in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're bringing our interactive church service to you. Just go online to momentsofhopechurch.org Sunday mornings at both 9 and 11 and click on the online service button. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out our Hopecasts. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston wishing you all a very happy new year.